Ask the Expert. This is a brief, informative, and lively discussion with experts in type 1 diabetes and related interdisciplinary research. We're recording this event. We're going to post it on the Sugar Science site, YouTube channel, so, uh, shortly after the presentation. And if you have any questions for our guests, please feel free to enter them in the chat or raise your hand at the end of the presentation. And today we have as our guest, uh, Dr. Graciela Lorca. She's coming to us from University of Florida. Um, and uh, just a little bit about her. She has a very interesting background. She's a professor at the Genetics Institute in the Department of Microbiology and Cell Science currently, but she also earned her PhD um, at the National University of Tucumán in Argentina. She did a postdoc uh, at the University of Toronto in Canada and then followed by another uh, time at UCSD. As early as 2010, she was writing excellent reviews on the topic of the intestinal microbiome, its relationship to type 1 diabetes, which you can find in Endocrinology Metabolist, uh, Metabolism Clinical North American. And her research interests include, and this is from her bio, um, interactions between the intestinal environment, barrier function, and the immune system. And these, these have been shown to have a major impact at the in the rate of T1D development. Her group found that the administration of l johnsony N6.2 to BBDP rats reduced the incidence of type 1 diabetes. The feeding of this microorganism post-weaning was followed by changes in the native microbiota, host mucosal proteins, and oxidative stress response. They hypothesized that the decrease in the pro-inflammatory cytokines, I, uh, I interferon gamma and TNF-alpha, observed was the result of a decrease in the host oxidative stress response. So translating the work uh, towards the prevention of T1D humans required a pilot study in healthy individuals. They performed that uh, trial and now have a clinical trial which is titled Lactobacillus johnsony in children and adolescents with T1D um, underway. And you can find that in um, you know, uh, clinical trials. So welcome, um, Dr. Lorca, thank you so much for joining us. This is a pleasure, and I can't wait to uh, see what you have to share with us. Hi, everybody, and it's a pleasure to be here, and it's always nice to share what we're doing in the lab right now. Um, so in my lab, we are focused on different aspects of the microbiome, and you mentioned type 1 diabetes, but we're also very excited about um, the microorganisms that we find in human, in human milk and how that will what's the impact that it's going to have on, on the first life of the kids and how we can prevent, uh, well, we can optimize the delivery of these mom microorganisms. But today I will focus on our studies on type 1 diabetes. And in this case, we're again looking for beneficial microbes uh, that are native or can be directly, that can be selected towards the treatment of specific disease. And that's why I call them disease-targeted probiotics rather than the general ones that we usually see on the market. So I will start, you mentioned our early studies and I think our lab was one of the first ones that we started looking at the model of type one diabetes. There were initial studies shown that uh, depending on the treatment of antibiotics, maybe some animals will develop or will disease will be prevented through these treatments. But uh, I was called early 
on to collaborate with Dr. Atkinson and Dr. Triplett on this microbiome project as early as 2008. And we did the first analysis on rats, the rat model for type 1 diabetes, that is the BB model. And where you have two lines of rats, basically one will develop over diabetes within 60 days and the other one will not. And we analyzed the microbiome in these two lines of rats. And we found that uh, specifically you have two genera that are usually used as probiotics that are lactobacillus and bifidobacterium that were uh, found in rats that didn't develop diabetes. So, and of course we did a good microbiome analysis at the time where we showed that the diversity over time is maintained in the animals that don't develop diabetes, but decrease over time in the ones that become diabetic. So we did some confirmation studies at the time with this lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, but we were really interested on trying to test the hypothesis that if we can get bacteria from these rats that are resistant, if we can prevent diabetes onset in the ones who are prone to develop diabetes. One more thing about probiotics. I just wanna clarify some concepts that we all see probiotics on the market and there is some effects for these probiotics that are shared by all the strains that you will see on the market. And these are, for example, production of acids or short chain fatty acid productions or regulation of the intestinal transit among others. There is some specific effects that have been found to be specific of some species. For example, the synthesis of vitamins or the gut barrier reinforcement effects. But there is some other more important effects related to human health that are only observed on some specific strains of bacteria. So it doesn't matter that you have a product that is called Lactobacillus johnsoni in the market. Chances are that the one that we have is different because you have always accessory genes on the genomes that even when they are the same species, it doesn't mean that the two will be exactly the same. And I think it's important to bring up this concept because there is a lot of claims that probiotics don't work for a disease. And I think it's mostly sometimes because they just don't have the right strain for that effect. So starting with that idea, what we wanted to do was to isolate bacteria from these animals and then test them in animals. And we observed our animal again is the BB model, BBDP in this case. And we were very naive. We took two species of lactobacillus that we isolated and test them on the animals, either at the beginning when they were just newborns or when they started on solid foods. And what we observed was that only when we started the animals on solid food, we were able to prevent onset of diabetes. And, but with Lactobacillus johnsoni, shown here in red, but not with Lactobacillus ruteri. And this, again, reinforced the previous concept that not all species are the same and not all the strains are the same. We did initial mechanistic studies on ileum to show that you have a lower inflammatory uh, environment by reduction of TNF-alpha and interferon gamma, but also we saw a big reduction on the oxidative stress environment. Looking at the immunology aspects of these animals, we also found something very interesting is that we observed an, a bias on IL-17 that back then, 
uh, in 2011, it was always related uh, IL-17 as a bad uh, guy on autoimmune diseases, but we found that in type one diabetes, it was the opposite. And other uh, investigators with other systems have shown the same in the NOD model. Um, another important aspect that we were trying to figure out is what is the main or what is the host enzyme that is being regulated by this bacteria? So that will determine maybe a change on the T cell responses. And we focus on IDO. And this is an important enzyme because it's the one that catalyzed the change from tryptophan to kinurenine. The balance between tryptophan and kinurenine or the ratios as we call them um, are the ones who are gonna determine which kind of T cells are, um, are being selected for. So we were able to show that in at mRNA level and at the level of metabolites, that when you have diabetes, you have a higher level of IDO as well as le high, higher levels of kinurenine. But then upon treatment with the bacteria, these levels are both decreased. And we expected that based on the uh, a decrease in the activity of this enzyme, we will have the pathway channel towards the production of serotonin. And that is exactly what we saw, again, on ileum tissue, but also in serum. So we have a lot more data that I'm not gonna go over today, but because I wanna talk about the new stuff. But the important thing is based on this data, we were able to start our uh, clinical trials uh, journey and starting with a phase one clinical trial where we gave the, plus, uh, this is the randomized placebo control trial and it was completed a few years ago in healthy subjects. Because in this case, when you are putting a new probiotic with health claims on the market, you need to go through all the phases because they are considered biologics. So we did this trial for eight weeks of administration of the bacteria followed by four weeks washout period. And we found uh, that the bacteria promoted a lot of health effects on general symptoms of gastrointestinal tract movement. But here today, I wanna to focus on the effects that we had on metabolites, and those are the increase in tryptophan and decreasing the kinurenine tryptophan ratio. What was interesting on this study is that we observed this on a specific population within the trial, that is when the bacterial load is increasing over time. But we also did a very complex um, immunophenotyping study where we look at all the immune cells in, in blood from the patients at each time point. And just a hallmark of the results were that we observed a significant decrease in CD4 positive T cells upon the treatment with the bacteria. And this result was very significant for a future application on type 1 diabetes, because as we know, it's a is a T-cell-mediated disease. And similar to that, we were able to observe that while the total number of T-effector cells did not change by the treatment, we were able to see a strong trend, but we didn't see significance though on a type of cells that is a bit different that have markers for both TH1 and TH17. So having completed that, a study, 
we are currently looking at two clinical trials, and here you have the numbers. If you're interested to looking at them in more detail on, clin on clinicaltrials.gov. And the idea is similar to what we did previously, but here we're also looking at the level of A1C and C-peptide. And the idea here is um, to test the, the mechanism similar to what we observed before, changes in the metabolites of the kinurenin pathway, but also looking at the preservation of beta cell function. And that is one of our exploratory outcomes. We're looking to see if by, the active, by providing the bacteria, we can provide that little um, activity or those uh, beta cells that are still alive, are still producing enough insulin. And this period is uh, the, for this trial, the subjects take the bacteria for six months, and then they do a washout period for six months. But I wanna change shifts a little bit to tell you what we are doing right now in the lab that is exciting. So while we are collecting and looking for subjects for our trials that of course have been severely hit by COVID-19 as expected, um, we are focusing on the mechanism and we continue to do a lot of experiments in animals. As you can see, to, I, I mentioned briefly about the studies that we did with the IDO in animals and what we observed on phase one. We did some also analysis on the role of Johnsonian on the inflammasome and also the activation of the mTOR pathway. But a question that we are actively investigating right now is how by providing the bacteria in the gut, we have systemic effects in that can reach either to the nervous system, but also into the pancreas. So we're looking at molecules or parts of the bacteria that can mediate these functions. And what we found was that these bacteria can make extracellular vesicles. And that's what you see here. You have a scanning electron microscopy and also on TM, you can see that this, this bacteria has a very unusual cap structure that you have vesicles protruding from here. This is a SEM and these are TM. And we were able to purify these uh, vesicles and show here you have a confirmation by cryo-EM. So they are around 100 nanometers, and that's why we call them nanovesicles instead of microvesicles. And we did a very detailed proteomics and lipidomic analysis. And it was similar to what had been observed for some other microorganisms, that these nanovesicles seem to have, the makeup seems to be mostly on cytoplasmic proteins, where some membrane proteins are found. While we compare this in this case to the cell membrane of the bacteria, not to the total makeup of the bacteria. And similarly with lipidomics, we were able to observe that these nanovesicles have a very uh, unique enrichment of lipids that is different from what you will form in the membrane. So it seems like this, this um, little nanovesicles are specialized structures that will have a specific a protein and lipid makeup. However, we have also done um, RNA-seq and metabolomics on them, but we are not, um, I'm not showing that today. But the objective of doing this proteomic study was to try to identify biomarkers. 
because you know bacterial nanovesicles are not like eukaryotic ones that you have markers from each uh, compartment from where they are derived. In this case, they, they are very unique proteins. So we perform proteomics, we identify proteins that were enriched on the nanovesicles and did uh, generated antibodies. And that's what you see in this figure here. You can see a figure of the cell with some protrusions, and then they were labeled with immunogold with this specific antibody against this protein. And we were able to see that they were attaching to this protrusion. But it doesn't mean that they are targeting only nanovesicles, right? So to do that, because we cannot do this kind of imaging with vesicles because of the size restriction, we did uptake by CACO2 cells. And that's what you see here. The, in blue, you have Martepan, the nucleus, the cell membrane in green, the nanovesicles in red with the specific antibodies and then the overlap. And what you can see in when you provide the nanovesicles to CACO2 cells is that they are uptaken by eukaryotic cells and can be detected with this specific antibody. So indeed we can, and that's what you see here in green is the overlap, um, sorry, in orange, the overlap area. The last question we had uh, was, can the immune system see them? Can the immune system recognize these structures? So we went back to our clinical trial and in the plasma samples and tried to see if we coated the plates with either vesicles or with purified proteins, can, we gen can, we, can they be detected there? So we took them and we went, remember I told you we had different time points. So two, two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, and 12 weeks. And these are the controls and these are the ones who received the probiotic. And we were able to observe that the nanovesicles as well as the purified proteins were able, were detected by IgA and also an IgG antibodies in healthy humans. So that means that these proteins can be seen by the immune system. Although in this, is, this trial was not done with purified nanovesicles, these trials were, were done with the, whole pro, with the whole bacteria. So it will be very interesting to see if we can just provide the nanovesicles and observe a differential response. So this is what I have to share today. We are doing a lot more mechanistic studies. We still need to want to know how the nanovesicles are entering the cell, through which system, and what are the, um, the responses that it generates on, on cells. So we're working on that right now. This is, this is really fascinating, um, Graciela. I have a couple of questions for you. Um, where is L. Johnsony, um, or yeah, Johnsony, isolated from? Uh, where is it originally found? I thought there was some inference in one of your papers that it was related to blueberries. Is that right? No, the bacteria itself we, was isolated from rats, from the, the BBR mm. the model. We did studies um, where we look at the synergic effect of blueberries and the bacteria. And actually we found a very interesting synergistic effect between the two. Because something that we observe is that the bacteria is efficient in modulating or in preventing type one diabetes when the animals start, are started on solid food. So if you look at the diet of the animals, they have a lot of um, phytophenols 
in their diet at that point. Mm -hmm. So we, we are rational, there was maybe some components in the diet will allow for a selective uh, colonization of the bacteria in the gut. Yeah. And what we observed was that basically that, that if we provide them together, the effects are potentiated on mechanism specifically. So it's almost like you have to feed the bacteria uh, to, to get its optimal, you know, the right diet to get its optimal functionality in the gut itself. Is that what it sounds like? Well, it sounds like it. And, and that's something that we are working on right now. We're working on a paper on the, the dietary intakes that we collected from the subjects on the initial trial. And we're like looking at food groups that are that show a positive correlation with bacterial colonization in humans. Mm. And because we think that it's, you know, there is a lot to say about the efficacy of probiotics in different people and why they help some people and some others they don't. And I think it really has to do with the diet and if the bacteria is able to colonize or to be maintained in the gut. So I'm looking for ways to make a symbiotic, if you want to call it, to optimize the transit, the survival during transit or colonization in the gut. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I also wondered, you know, does L. Johnsony um, administration impact the, any of the GABA producing bacteria in the gut? Well, we don't know specifically. What I can tell you is that we did a microbiome analysis on this trial and also in animals. And we did not see any significant changes. So mm -hmm. the, the, just by doing administration of the bacteria is not gonna induce microbiome, shifts in the microbiome. And I also thought that that was significant because you, know, you don't wanna alter the microbiome significantly, especially in this case, we were giving it to a healthy subjects. Yep. Maybe it will be a good thing to see that on subjects with type 1 diabetes because there we want to modify their microbiome. So that's what we are investigating right now in our current trial. Yeah. And I just wondered if you might just sort of, you know, comment briefly on the whole, there's been a lot of buzz recently about, you know, the Parkinson's connection between the vagal nerve and the brain and the gut and the vagal nerve and the brain. Um, could, you know, could it be that some of these vesicles, these EVs are, um, it, you know, part of that type of pathway? Definitely it's possible. And we're actually seeking to, we did an experiment actually during COVID-19 and then we had to stop it was by the administration of vesicles directly. So we are looking to restart that soon. But basically as soon as it, the nanovesicles movement have been reported in different, for different bacteria already. And you can see that you have very quick distribution to all the organs when mm -hmm. they are administered orally. So mm -hmm. I think it's definitely a possibility. And there is a big impact of the gut microbiome in Parkinson and other diseases. Yeah. So they can do it directly through vesicles or they can do it just by secretion of chemicals in the gut. Yeah. And that kind of begs the question, like, well, maybe you could rescue some of these pathologies just by having loaded vesicles, you know, rather than actually having to go through the whole bacterial um, 
you know, receding or whatever you want to call it? There is some, uh, there is some papers coming out, but right now there is a lot of papers coming out on the role of microbial vesicles and how to make them artificially, right? Yeah. So because then you can control them better. You can, than, yeah, the payload or the cargo. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I think that was our idea by going after all the omics. So we have done a very detailed, we know that you have a detailed proteomic, lipidomic, RNA-seq, and metabolites all together. So it's a very complex and they are very heterogeneous. Yeah. Not as heterogeneous as eukaryotic ones, but they are. So we're trying to minimize and trying, so we're trying specific proteins, we're testing specific lipids and their combinations to see what will be the minimal cargo to trigger this function. Yeah, that's very interesting work. Um, I know right now, you know, there's a, a huge um, number of, you know, microbiome companies, Ginkgo, Bioworks, uh, Zymogen, Vedanta, Kaleido, Ceres, you know, Finch, Ubiome, you name it. There's, there's so many entering that space. And I noticed that a couple of industry um, representatives were on the call. So um, I think it's, it's really, uh, this is a really interesting intersection, and particularly as it pertains to type 1 diabetes and uh, the work you're doing is really uh, very fine, very precise, really dissecting what's going on there. And I think that's so important um, to know the, the mechanism of what's happening. So I think it's really interesting what you're doing. I, I didn't know if anyone else had any questions. I guess we'll leave it at that. We answered them all. Okay. <laughs> you. You know, feel free to reach out by email if you have any questions. Fantastic. And thank you again for your time and your really fascinating uh, showcasing your fascinating work. I appreciate it so much. Okay, thank you for having me. <laughs>